and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Heidi Anderson. Heidi is the current president at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, a post she has held since September 2018. Her previous administrative leadership roles include positions at Texas A&M Kingsville, University of the Sciences in Philadelphia, and the University of Kentucky. Heidi's a three-time graduate of Purdue in her native state of Indiana. She holds a PhD in pharmacy administration and has served as president and vice president of the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy Education. Welcome, Heidi. Welcome, Jay. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It is a thrill to have you and to have a little chance to catch up. Uh, Heidi, and for our listeners, need to know that I had the distinct pleasure of getting to know you through participation in our Executive Leadership Academy of AALI and, um, and also, as I recall, through the ACE um, uh, Ascending to the Presidency Program. And we really then ended up becoming um, deeply acquainted in the search that brought you to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And, and through that process, I learned some about your background and path to leadership, but I'd love for you to open up today by sharing some of your story. Um, talk about whatever you would wish about the people, the events and the opportunities that have made you the person you are, that have forged you into the leader that you are and, and to hear a little bit about your journey. I'd, I'd be happy to do that, Jay. And first I say, I agree, uh, we have forged a relationship over a period of years here from several different uh, uh, points of view. And it's been really, Fun, uh, very fun for me having you as a good friend and colleague. But just talking about leadership, I have to start when I start from the fact that I'm a first generation college student and, and the product of being raised by a single parent in the middle of, very, of extreme poverty. I grew up in Gary, Indiana. And the one thing that my mother impressed upon me was the way to get out of poverty was education. And so you can say that access and affordability has been ingrained in me from a child. Interesting enough, I really, I knew about Purdue University, but really wasn't even sure if I could, would fit in there. And along comes a recruiter from Purdue uh, in my high school year, Dick Weaver was his name, and recruited, was recruiting students from inner cities to Purdue and uh, really helped begin to shape my thinking about access way before I knew that was a, as a buzzword. But I got recruited and uh, the rest is history as they say, but along the way, once I finished my pharmacy degree and my, and my graduate degrees, I started really looking at, instead of working in a pharmacy, I started looking at higher ed. And I started looking at higher ed from the standpoint of being able to give back like Dick Weaver and like my mother had encouraged me to do, go and get an education. So in, from a leadership perspective, after practicing as a faculty member and moving up the ranks and then becoming a department chair, uh, first forays into leadership, I had people who saw things in me that I didn't see from the standpoint of what's that next step. And the first person that saw something in me was 
uh, Kuba Suba Swami. Swami is wow. chancellor at UMass Amherst and brought me in as his associate provost when he was at the University of Kentucky. And he said, and uh, I'm going to mentor you into becoming a provost, even if you don't want to be one or not. And I'm thinking, I have no idea about what being a provost. And, um, but he mentored very well. And what did I do? I became a provost. <laughs> From there, I got to work with two extremely in amazing presidents. One, Helen Giles G in U Sciences. Yeah. and learned a lot from her. Went from there to Kingsville after Helen decided to retire. I went to Kingsville and worked with Steve Talon for a short while there. And uh, in both of those situations, just like with Swami, they saw things and said, I want to work with you. But I'll tell you another interesting person that had an impact from the standpoint of my leadership thinking, and that was Millie Garcia. I met Millie in 2017 when I was a provost, and she was receiving an award at ACE. And that award had something to do with diversity and inclusion. And listening to her talk about how she reshaped Cal California's you know, uh, CSU Fullerton, I was just enamored with that. And ran up to her, had never met her afterwards, and ran up to her and talked with her. And she says, you should think about becoming a president. And she kind of planted that seed, and I just kind of ignored it. But that's where, you know, going back with working with Helen, she really kind of germinated that and helped it really come to fruition. And then along comes Linda Blyken and she says, you would be good at this. And um, the rest is history. I, I, I love it. Um, Millie, of course, a dear friend and colleague and uh, one of our, uh, in fact, the inaugural guests on Leaders on Leadership and um, to hear her share her own story and for that to be a part of the library now connecting the two of you is fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I also got to say, um, I uh, grew up in uh, a family um, in which my parents were the graduates of Shadron State College, um, uh, an Askew institution, um, and they were first generation. My grandfather, who was still living until I uh, became uh, a president, um, wanted my entire life, wanted me to be a pharmacist. Wow. And um, that. frankly, I think he was a little bit disappointed. He had some pride, but you would have been the embodiment of complete pride for my grandfather, a pharmacist <laughs> and a university president. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jay. <laughs> Well, your own experience is a testament to the power of education. And I, you know, I know that, that, your, that your journey and those examples that you've just shared really shape your passion. Um, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how other leaders can contribute to improving access to education for all, but particularly those members who are citizens in our country that have been so dramatically underserved? Of course, I'd love to share that. I think, and it depends, I think it, from a leadership standpoint, and it's at all levels, not just the presidency, but I think our leaders need to recognize, but especially those who are aspiring to presidencies, that for individuals who are underrepresented, and we, and we typically say underrepresented minorities, they really access and affordability is critical. 
And what leaders need to do, I think we need to be able to recognize, we have to be able to tell that story to legislatures and really bring the, the, the perspective of what the vision and the mission for of our institution is to those individuals. We really have to take the time to articulate to them the value of an education, the achievement gap, the um, social mobility, that making sure that, though, that we can blend that into the communities and blend those into those individuals and give back to society. I think uh, that's a critical part of what I think a leader is. When I look at other leaders uh, along the, the, the spectrum there in higher education, everyone on the campus who is in a leading role has to do the same thing when it comes to the community. So the community around where the institution might be, but the community of where we send our students from a workforce standpoint. And again, resonating, explaining to them, these students contribute back. They contribute back to the economy. They contribute back to the, the, the workforce and help our society in many, many ways. And to me, that's a story that can never be told. Um, it, it must be told multiple times in multiple ways. And, and we tell it by sharing the, 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 you know, the successes of our students. It, it's, it's what keeps me passionate about this, you know, Someone who wants to make, make come out of the, the, like myself, someone who wants to rise up from poverty and make a, make a, make a really big um, um, impact on, it, on life, you know, and you're there to help shape that. Well, a, a, amen. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate that you started and put a focus on public policy and speaking with you know, legislatures, um, and, uh, you know, they are the ones who appropriate the public purse. And, and you know, higher education is um, a major public investment. I often worry um, that sometimes lost in this, and your comments brought it forward in a really powerful way, of course, the, the, the power of education transforms lives like yours and mine. I, too, was a Pell Grant kid, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, life's never been the same. Yes. And that changes the trajectory for many families. But it's the investment, um, we, we don't focus quite enough, I'm afraid, on the public benefit that comes um, uh, for uh, those who have the, the, the good fortune of, of a college education. We, you know, there's more, more contribution by way of taxes, yes. uh, more active participation uh, as civic leaders, um, and um, you know, a, a more informed citizenry that helps to make the democracy better. I was about to say the exact same thing. And then you don't even, you look at getting into the tangibles like the workplace, you have less sick days, you know, you have individuals who can climb that career ladder and um, contribute in those ways. And what's important, I think, Jay, from a leadership standpoint is for our leaders to understand many of those individuals who sit in our state and federal legislative bodies, they come, many of them come from the Ivy Leagues or they come from higher echelon institutions that are not like ASCU institutions. And so they forget that when they think about a college education, they think of it from their perspective or from their staffers' perspectives who are all running around in Harvard or Yale. And I don't mean any disrespect to any of the Ivies, but the access and opportunity impact really 
it's important that we share that with those individuals and let them know the bulk of our students do not come from the kind of institutions they're, they're thinking and dreaming of. Yeah, well, you, you are right. And, and I will tell you that um, no one in my family would have ever conceived of being involved in public office in part because of the socioeconomic gaps. Um, yes. It's not, you know, in part-time states with part-time legislative bodies. Um, and, and many of those legislators serve at great personal sacrifice, but uh, it's fascinating. Well, I know I've got a, we could go on all day. Uh, and I, it's just fun to have this chance to visit. I wanna change subjects in some ways. Yes. Talk with me about what you think makes a good leader. And, and by the way, by good, I don't mean grade B. I really mean someone who is a virtuous, ethical, effective, and ultimately successful leader. What, 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 what makes that? It, it, very good question, Jay. And I think you, you, one of the things you said really makes that the ethical part, the being trustworthy, the highest level of integrity, um, the usual tangible things like good listener. When I mean listener, I mean listening with your heart as well as your mind, your ears, because to me, those are critical when you're a leader. I think being able to have a shared vision with whoever you're leading, whether it's your university president leading an institution or whether you're in you know, a, a team sport and you're leading that group, but having that shared camaraderie and that shared vision. Yeah. I think the other thing that makes a really effective leader is being able to tell the story of the organization that you represent, okay? And being able to tell that story succinctly Going back to the legislatures, you sometimes only get 30 seconds with them. So you got to quickly tell that story, you know, and point out I, my students are pale. My students are, you know, are, are safe here, safer here on my campus. They're, they're excellent students, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, those are the things that make a good leader. And the last thing I will say is recognizing that none of this work can be done only by you. It takes a team effort. So that means surrounding yourself with the the right team, the right individuals who complement you. To me, those are the elements of a good leader. I appreciate your, your sharing. And, and you know, it, it harkens to some of the dimensions of our Executive Leadership Academy um, curriculum, where <laughs> you, you, you know, heard about mastering the, the importance of understanding and telling the institutional story and saga. And, and that, you know, leadership is, is a team sport. It's not a solo sport, um, uh, individual sport. So I, I, I'm glad to hear that you're finding efficacy in, 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 in some of that. Um, What's I, interesting is I forgot about the curriculum, so I must have inculcated it. You, the I, teachers, you must have done so well making it. <laughs> I can tell you I'm beaming with pride. Um, uh, you know, um, one of my goals with this series is to create a library for those who might be thinking about aspiring to leadership and providing a forum for you. And I know you have been so good and, and, and are, are doing this in other forums, but in, in our forum, talk a little bit about what advice you would have for those who either aspire to leadership or are new to leadership. Okay. For aspiring leaders, I think the first thing I would tell them is to know yourself. 
So become really self-aware of who you are, your comfort level. Uh, are you the type that you, your energy is derived from, from external sources versus internal? Because that's gonna drive your leadership because, and especially if they're aspiring to the presidency, the presidency and, and, and in all the curriculum that you guys told us, it's no way you could have prepared us for this without us fighting it on our own. It's a 24 seven job, it really is. And you need to know yourself where you, where you get re-energized. I think other advice I would give them is being comfortable in different settings. Make sure that you can be comfortable. You, you may wake up one day and have to, be, have to be with the students who can give you that energy that you need. And then unfortunately have to go to a funeral the same day. So you've got to be able to prepare yourself in both ways, all in one day, from the highest to the lowest of lows. I would tell them, recognize, especially if you're going to the presidency, it's, this is a solo experience and from the standpoint of accolades. You're, if you're used to getting applauded or rewarded or attaboys or whatever it might be, you don't get that in this. You, you get a lot of complaints, but the attaboys goes to your team and you really never hear the feedback. And so if that, if that is something that you thrive off of and need, recognize that the presidency, that's not gonna happen every single day. You have to figure ways to get that. And I think the last thing I would advise aspiring leaders on is to always recognize it is a continual learning process. So watch other leaders on TED Talks or on YouTubes. And, 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 and those who model behaviors that you want to have for in yourself, you know, pay attention to that and try to work that into your development. And I said it was the last thing, but, but here's one other thing. And that is, as I said earlier, make sure you surround yourself with a really, really good team, a team who compliments you. So for example, I know that I'm an introvert. So I make sure I've gotten some members of my team who are more extroverted. And when I'm having my lull days or periods, I'm connected with one of them so we can work the room together or do whatever needs to be done together. Um, I know that I want someone who challenges me and not just to be a yes person. So that's what I meant by being self-aware of what you want surrounding you. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, I could go back, but in, in the interest of time, I'll discipline myself and say, talk with me next about what you see as the biggest critical challenges facing higher ed. Right now, Jay, it's interesting. These challenges have always been there, but I think COVID has revealed them. And I call them, it's a two-pronged two challenge. I call it the learning model and our business model needs to change. The learning model it's not just about going out there getting high school kids and bringing them into the academy and putting them in through four years anymore and letting them go. And that's where we're getting our revenue stream from because as we know, that was changing and that model was, was dwindling even before COVID. COVID has exacerbated that. Our business model on the other side, the same thing. We have to figure out, to me, those are the two greatest challenges. So how do I move forward in a post-COVID world where I'm looking at, it's not just on ground classes anymore. Is it a mix of hybrid? Is it certificates? Is it badges? Is it the adult learners? Is it transfer? Whatever it is. But I think, you know, we have to look at that. And I, again, I hate to keep going back to the legislature, but that's how I started my day today. So they're on my mind, convincing them that I still need brick and mortar, you know, because everybody, an ASCU type of learner is not going to go and fit in places. They need to be here on campus. They need to have this, this still, this place. So I still have to be able to have those kind of things. 
So that's what I think is the biggest challenge for us to figure out what is going to be our learning model and our business model going forward. Excellent, excellent. Do you think that leadership today requires newer, different skills than, uh, in, you know, than in the past or? If you had asked me before COVID, I would have said no. <laughs> but now with COVID, I think leaders need to be able to know how to deal with the complexities of things a lot faster, how to be a lot more agile and flexible. Uh, COVID showed us all that, you know, hey, think about it. In higher ed, to change a course used to take a year. We did it in two weeks, you know. We, the policies that we have. So I think we have to, you know, we have to have that different kind of skill set, the skill set that business leaders bring to the table but we also have to have that caring skill set and, and, and not lose sight of that. So what do they call it? A good, strong, emotional, intelligent leader? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, it, and it is interesting. I, you're absolutely right. Um, a, a, an agility and a nimbleness um, that shocked all of us was yes. found in higher education. And um, what will the shape be as it goes back and my sense is that we care a lot in higher education and we've been well served by attending to process. Um, and yet there are times where process has been an impediment um, uh, to speed. And so what's the right balance as we, as we you know, uh, find our way forward, but it's hard to imagine it ever going back. I agree, I agree. Well, I, I want to next move to a little more of what I call a lightning round. Some of this is, is, is uh, a little light. Some of it's, um, I hope, fun. And, um, and, you know, you can answer in whatever depth you would want. Um, okay. I, who most influenced you? Well, to, the, to be the person I am today, it probably was Dick Weaver, that recruiter that I told you about. Yeah. Phenomenal. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What book has most influenced you? Uh, Michelle Obama's Unbecoming. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. What's your fondest memory of your own undergraduate experience in West Lafayette? <laughs> this one's interesting. Since I was a pharmacy student, my fondest memory was when I finally got into the lab and was able to make something. So I made ointment that I actually was able to use. And it was amazing. I could have said the funniest memory was me making suppositories because I'm always too hot. <laughs> <laughs> Never could get those things to mold right. My hands are too warm. <laughs> I love it. Um, it reminds me of, uh, uh, we're, we're a little light here on a Friday afternoon. Uh, it reminds me of, a group of chief development officers were sitting around talking about what's the most absurd thing you've ever had to do. And, uh, and, and one of them said, well, I had to give one of my best donors a suppository. <laughs> <laughs> Made in the hands of Heidi Anderson. <laughs> you, could be a, you could be a full service. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, talk about your favorite campus tradition at a place you've attended or served. Oh. My favorite, Jay, and this is strange, it sounds strange, but my favorite tradition is commencement. Not strange at all. I mean, I just love the pomp and circumstance, the, the, the you know, the, the whole thing, regalia. I just love that everywhere I've been. And it makes me cry every time. 
there's so much truth to that. Um, it, you know, it, it comes at the end of a long, long, long uh, run. And, um, and yet, boy, that day your energies are refueled um, and you're ready to start again the next day, aren't it you? It does. But, but here's the thing that gets to me is the students, seeing a face of a student who I met as a freshman and then watching them come up there, that four or five year maturity that's so unique and different. That's what gets to me. And it never goes away every single time. Yeah. Uh, absolutely true. And Heidi, I, I, you know, you've, um, you've got incredible credentials. Again, ones that I know my grandfather would have um, deeply um, uh, valued and admired. Um, and so I don't know whether to, uh, to, uh, to uh, take you out of this. I think I might want to push you. If you had not worked in you know, pharmacy, um, education, or in higher ed, what do you think you might have done? If I had not worked in higher ed, I probably would have stayed in pharmacy as a, as an open my own store. I know. That's what yeah. I, I want to push you. you think, beyond had, pharmacy even. Beyond what, that. And were there other paths that, that had appealed to you? Or were you one of those people who had real clarity and discernment early on? I had real clarity and discernment early on, but if I had had the talent and skills, I probably would have, believe it or not, gone the other side and been like a, a dancer. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Yes, I did, yeah. <laughs> and so what, what form of dance um, might you have imagined, um, uh, you know, gracing a stage with? Probably modern dance, jazz, a little bit of, you know, tap, yes. But because uh, I, I love the theater, and uh, but of course you know, hey, dancers don't make any money. <laughs> you know what? Um, they say that about educators too, and That's um, true. you've worked. It's worked out for you, um, and thank goodness you followed that calling. I mean, I think it's very interesting. Um, there's such a wide range of of people. I just think about in my own life, people who knew early on what they wanted to do. Others who are in sort of uh, a, an ongoing series of discernment about what it is that they'll do with their, with their time and their talent. So, um, you know, God bless you for knowing early on what you wanted to do. Thank you. It, it, I think it, it stifles you a little bit though, you know, but cause look, I, I go from being scientific to being creative and uh, that side didn't develop as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Heidi, is your mother still living? No, no. Um, what do you think she'd think if she saw you sitting in that office on this day, engaged in this sort of conversation? She would be very, very proud. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, um, you know, a life that's got a whole lot more ahead of it. Um, and, um, you know, I want to kind of move towards um, uh, our wrap up and one of our traditions here on Leaders on Leadership is we like to close by asking our guests to share with listeners um, the distinctive qualities, if you will, the organizational DNA that make University of Maryland Eastern Shore such a very special place and the place that you have chosen to serve. Oh, I'd be happy to. First of all, we have wonderful students who come to us from all areas of, this, of the country and globally. 
We have a talented faculty and staff. We have distinctive programs that are aligned not only in liberal arts, but STEM programs, eight health profession programs, including pharmacy and physician assistant and physical therapy, the only aviation sciences program in the state and the only certified PGA golf management program. And we sit on beautiful 1000 acres here in Princess Anne, Maryland. Um, and just um, a wonderful opportunity. We are also the only research institution on, on the Eastern shore. And so we give back in the sense of having our farming because agriculture is one of our anchor schools as well as business technology, education and our school of health professions. That's who we are and that's, and, and that's our, our, our focus here. And our mission is all about those individuals access and opportunity, giving every learner an opportunity to have a, a college education. Well, what a, what a joy it was to serve um, UMES um, and, and the search that brought you there and to come to be acquainted with so many really incredible people who also have an uncommon devotion and love um, uh, for Princess Anne and for their, for their institution. Um, and uh, wow, you've got an, a, an extraordinary place there. And I certainly, um, you know, wish you well as you continue on. We're really grateful to have had you. Appreciate your time and your sharing your insights and your wisdom about leadership with us. Thank you, Jay, it's been a pleasure. Well, listeners, we welcome your suggestions and thoughts for leaders we should feature in upcoming segments. You can send those suggestions to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find your podcasts. It's also available on the Academic Search website. Again, Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. It has just been a great pleasure to have Heidi Anderson, one of the beneficiaries of that virtuous <laughs> circle um, that I just spoke of on our show today. Thank you again, Heidi, for being our guest. It's wonderful to catch up with you and keep doing the good work that you are doing there. Thank you, Jay, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye.